Hi, I'm Lyman, and I'm here today with my good friend Miles, and together we are presenting to you the Jazz and Grass and Other Stuff 2 podcast. Hey, yo, everybody. Real happy to be back. Yeah, happy to have you back. Um, Marcel is still attending to some business. I do not know when he will be back, but he will be back, and we are eagerly awaiting his triumphant return. But until then, uh, we'll, we'll have Miles in the interim, which is a treat for me and everybody else listening, I, I assure you. Uh, too kind, man. Thank you. Um, before we get into stuff, I just, you know, I have to do the commercial. Um, I, I am the jazz half of the Jazz and Grass Instagram account that I run with Marcel, uh, we, where we do six uh, licks every week. Monday through Saturday, alternating between jazz and bluegrass. And we do not post on Sundays because we release a new podcast every Sunday. Um, if you have any questions for Marcel or I, or even Miles, uh, we do have a number that you can leave a voicemail at or a, a text message. And uh, we'll, we'll answer your question on the podcast. And that number is area code 724 724- Two five seven one zero four six. That's area code seven two four two five seven one zero four six. I hate the commercial part. I'm glad it's <laughs> over now. <laughs> Friggin' commercials. So before we get into what we're going to talk about this week, uh, I had a new reoccurring segment in mind because. Um, uh, I don't know if any any listeners know this. I, I actually speak on the phone every week with Miles for at least an hour. And every week he's got something for me related to uh, either his gear triumphs or his gear troubles. And um, they're always interesting to me. So we thought it would be a good idea to share that with you. So uh, welcome to this next segment Miles' gear, troubles, and triumphs. Take it away. Well, this week is a good week, my friends, because I discovered something to share with you that will hopefully make some of your lives a little better if you choose to explore this option. So lately, I've been trying to figure out how to make the guitar the most dynamic instrument it could be in all ways. Right. You know, when you think about like when you add a whammy bar into the equation, for example, it's like, boom, that's a whole nother level of expression, you know. And then say you add like a volume pedal, boom, that's a whole nother level of expression. Like you start adding these things that fundamentally change, you know, your guitar relationship and make it, you know, broader. And so this week, little um, in sort of the past week, I've had two discoveries related to volume manipulation, I think is really important is one. I found out that short cable that is not, you know, that's sort of like a nice normal capacitance can work really well for manipulating your volume control and still having a lot of clarity and like energy when you turn the volume down. It's really cool. And um, what is capacitance new- for uh, dummies like, like okay. me? Well, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not the best person to explain this. But I, I believe it to be like capacitance is just sort of like how much um, your signal's getting loaded down, right? And um, you don't want the capacitance to be too um, low or high, I believe. I can't remember this exact moment. But the one of the two is um, either way of too much is not good, especially in guitar. That's what I've found personally. And most guitar cables come in at a really nice capacitance, just sort of like what they make the Mogami Golds out of that are just sort of like normal standard cable. It's like the, um, that capacitance is real nice. Anything around there, just really normal capacitance. Um, but I A-beat it with all my cables. And the short one, sure enough, it like sounds way punchier and like through the whole range of the volume knob, it's a lot more usable. And it really blew my mind, especially, I know some people won't want to use that necessarily if you're moving around a lot, but at least for recording, or just where you're like sitting or you're not going to move too much. It's like, it's definitely worth it to have a short little cable that could really get um, 
more use out of your volume knob. And that is like, um, I think that'll be rocking my world for a while. That right there. So check it out, people. Try to find a little short cable and make one. It's not that hard to make them yourself. You know, you can like just buy some cable and get two ends and solder it or even get like a solderless kit of some sort if you're into that. I don't know. But um, give a shot. Um, I, I just have to, you know, put a disclaimer. Uh, don't use a soldering iron unless you know how to. Um, if you don't know how to use a soldering iron, look up some tutorials on how to use the soldering iron. Um, as I have this uh, stated multiple times, I'm I'm a moron. But <laughs> I figured out how to use a soldering iron. Um, but. I just, I just do want to throw out that disclaimer that it does get really hot and you can burn yourself. So if you're going to yeah. go that route, be careful, but have some fun. Try it. I don't oh, know. Definitely. Or have a friend that's an electrician. That's what I do. And that works out great. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I still have not gotten caught with my soldering iron plugged in, uh, in 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 my bed so that's a that's a good thing <laughs> that's a very good thing <laughs> i've also not lit anything on fire too much so just a little fire <laughs> little fire is good every now and again ain't nothing wrong with that okay so <clears throat> this week we just kind of wanted to uh leave off or, or get uh, pick up where we left off last week with um, the whole songwriting and composition uh, thing. Do you remember where we left off? I don't quite remember. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think um, we could definitely continue talking about it because I think it's really fun to talk about both um, in a songwriting perspective, but also like how it also applies to like just playing in general improvisation as well. It's really mm -hmm. interesting how there's that crossover with it too. And that's what I remember from our last session that I, I really think is interesting. And I've been noticing more lately is the crossover between them, um, like writing songs or like arranging things in improvisation and how the better you get at both, especially if you take time to like arrange things in songwriting, like, you know, figure a lot of stuff out, it will come into your playing just normally too, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I do remember we were talking about modes a little bit and, uh, Ooh, and yeah, scales. We um, we sh I, I feel we should, like, we should address the pentatonic scale a little bit, like oh, how definitely. I use it and how you use it. Ooh, I like this. Let's do that. You go first. All right. So, I, uh, I use the classic pentatonic shape that all guitar players know. That's, you know, one, uh, first finger, fourth finger, one, three, one, three, one, three, one, four, one, four. Um, <clears throat> and uh, when, I, when I'm trying to, you know, improvise with that or create a melody, I'm I'm definitely looking for stuff that's not just, you know, uh, ascending or descending stepwise motion. I'm looking for the, the larger intervals in the, that are, that are in this scale. Um, It's not a note in the pentatonic scale. Um, those are kind of my go-to, like uh, little little chunks of phrases. Anything where I can throw in a string skip or or have a larger interval jump. prefer using that sound. Uh, that is the sound I like in the pentatonic scale. 
um, or a sound that I like in the pentatonic scale. Got anything to add uh, on, you know, larger interval jumps in the pentatonic scale? Well, <clears throat> maybe not as much on that, but I'm glad we are talking about this because this is actually fundamental to how I view everything. And definitely to how I write songs and motifs and melodies, that's for sure. Because to me, uh, I'm sure you see this way too a little bit. Um, I learned the pentatonic first before any other scale, right? And for a lot of people that can doom you, you know, and you can get trapped in that. But for me, I ended up using it as a, I call it my little shortcut. Because when I think of like most things, I relate it to the pentatonic if I can. Because that's helpful for me. Because the pentatonic is sort of like, it's a good skeleton to look at. And I try my best to base everything I do, like if I was in like G and I was doing like a minor pentatonic. So you have that, right? But for me, I would see the whole pentat. I No matter what I'm going to do in G, I'll try to relate it to that pentatonic. So I'll also see if I'm just like more in the minor thing, I'll see the minor notes. you know, or whatever ones I want to use, but I'm seeing the pentatonic first and foremost. And those other notes are like added notes. And if you start trying to look at things that way, sometimes it'll make you go, it'll make you phrase things differently than if you're viewing it in a, like a scalar fashion. And <clears throat> so that alone, just sort of trying to see the pentatonic within other things helps me out because for me, um, the thing is um, the jumps are good. But also, the pentatonic, I actually really like the sound of things close together. But when you can do it in a way that's not so, you know, cliche, obviously. But I feel like there's lots of little, especially on the guitar, just um, the... Like the sounds of those notes against each other, just the adjacent strings, is really good for melodies, you know? and it's just like they're like pivot points and that's what i think of the pentatonic as more than anything it's like you can start to look at the notes because they're so strong usually or they're really um they're almost like um almost like in a video game or something they're like safe spots in the lava or something and so you can pivot off them but you can touch the other stuff but as long as you pivot back to that place, you're good. And um, that's sort of how I view some things. And I don't know what you think about all that one, but um, that's, yeah, that's sort of how I view it. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a super useful kind of, kind of like pentatonic hack. Like, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. um, you were in G minor, G minor pentatonic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I added in an A and an E. Um. Mm. Which, uh, funnily enough, that gives you Dorian. That just creates Dorian. Mm. It's the best. It's so great. And it's amazing. Until you start getting into um, some of the more wider or the more spread out, you know, um, types of like scales and stuff you can really apply a lot of pentatonic concepts to a lot of things and it's just like one way of thinking which i think is cool it's um and i started out thinking that way but now i'm starting to learn other ways to think and i like being able to switch between them and i definitely think that's um it brings out different sounds in you or different just sort of ways you approach it yeah having having a bunch of different tools in your in your tool bag is um it's huge it's very helpful like I can think of this as, you know, G Dorian. Or I could think of it as a G minor pentatonic with, with extras. Um, mm -hmm. And you can, uh, you know, Going to mm -hmm. G blues. 
um, you know, if it's a G dominant chord, um, uh, G Dorian is cool, but also Yeah, you can think of that as, you know, modal interchange between, you know, G Mixolydian, G Lydian dominant, G Dorian. Mm-hmm. Or you think of it as G minor pentatonic with extras. Absolutely. And if I can add one more thing to my pentatonic thing, um, this influenced my playing um very uh a lot is realizing that um how the pentatonics usually set up really nice for chromaticism as well. And you can kind of just fill in the gaps a lot of times and it is it works out. And obviously the better you get at using chromaticism, you start to be a little more specific. But definitely when I started experimenting with chromaticism um, and trying to add that into my playing at all, um, just adding that to the pentatonic really opened things up for me and was a really nice natural way to do it for some people or anyone coming from it from more of a like um if you're, you know, learned like blues and stuff first and you're trying to break into like more complicated stuff, it's definitely, um, I don't know, it's a good way to try to look at it, especially to start maybe. Mm-hmm. Like, let's just take this basic pentatonic shape. Mm-hmm. amazing how well it naturally just flows it sounds so good too and you can just play a lot of phrases you would probably normally play and just add it and then it starts to get you thinking outside the box a little bit more or at least for me it really that's what i try to do whenever i feel myself getting a little too stiff around my head i'm like all right start moving around start adding in all the notes just get out (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) i don't know um yeah the pentatonic is a great like sort of home base mm-hmm. um you have you know those five notes and those are your uh, your 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 butter notes those are always going to sound good mm-hmm. um and you can you can add in some extra some extra spice um, from, you know, the pentatonic with extras. And that, um, I feel like there's a, there's a term for this, but it, 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 it like keeps you grounded in like the key sound, but you can, mm-hmm. you have a little bit more wiggle room with like coloring things. And uh, definitely, definitely. That's absolutely how I think about it. And obviously, and then obviously the thing to note about this approach too is it'll only get you so far. And if you really want to play off changes, obviously you have to, you start to want to think a little differently. But if it's sort of like a more modal type of song that's sort of just sitting around a tonal center, you know, that works really well because you can just sort of reach and grab colors instead of like maybe having to shift your whole way of thinking. Sure. It's one way to think about it. <laughs> yeah, there, there's got to be some some systems to play with play changes over pentatonics, like. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any any? There are no pentatonics that in, include a tritone, like basic minor pentatonic scales. Are yeah, there? I'm not sure. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, like if if you could, you know, mush a couple together, there's probably ways to play pentatonics over altered chords. Oh, definitely. And even like if I'm being honest, I still kind of um I always even if I'm totally viewing another scale altogether, I usually try to still relate it to the pentatonic somehow just cuz that's where I started and it does keep me grounded somewhere. For just at least for me. I know that wouldn't work for everybody, but um 
it's yeah, you can you'd be surprised how much you could at least like somewhat overlay the pentatonic over something or at least like kind of think about it. And sometimes it helps. <laughs> do you do you practice your other pentatonic uh, boxes like practice them all for sure that that is something i neglected so hard oh man it's so great because then once you know it especially now that i'm i'm <laughs> i've been trying to learn um more of the notes on the fretboard and that's a whole <laughs> that's a whole nother thing but um the pentatonic's really helpful for me at least um especially the more you get familiar with all the forms you can just jump around more oh dang that was a really bad demonstration but it's like the more you start seeing it it is that's a really nice way to link it and um obviously i come from a little more of um <laughs> like an eric johnson type of school thought especially when i see things around the neck in the pentatonic and the way I move, but that's um, learning to move pentatonically or see it is a cool way to move around, and it's very it's different <laughs> and it's less um, uh, vertical, that's for sure. The pentatonic scale is cool. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's very interesting. It's a very interesting. And then the other thing that interests me about the pentatonic scale that's been getting to be recently is like its application, right? And how in most Western music, it sounds a certain way and sounds more bluesy, you know. But like in like uh, Japanese music, you'd be like. And it's like, what? That's amazing to me that this exact same scale that's been like, we got such a different idea of how to use it. And it's like, that's what gets to me is that. The application of any given tonal sequence or scale, or whatever it's like, you can really manipulate how it sounds by I, the way you play it so much. I call those things pitch collections. That's my terminology. Mm -hmm. Ooh, I like that. Pitch collection. I like that. Makes me sound smarter than I really am. <laughs> but, like, as far as melodic ideas go, um, Scottish folk tune. Yep. Um, th these five notes. Um, can't believe I, <laughs> I uh, butchered the pentatonic scale like that. But they're they're used cross culturally because um, mm -hmm. they sound nice. Like there's nothing in this scale that's you know too offensive. Mm -hmm. um, the those notes work over you know. The primary uh, diatonic chords. Mm -hmm. um, well, these two notes work over some of them, but you have to, you know, be mindful of the context. <laughs> so, uh, I guess you can be less offensive with your, your pentatonics. Maybe. <laughs> Definitely. I'd, I'd say so. Um, another cool thing to do with pentatonics is just like, uh, Picking like three or four notes. And doing interesting, you know, rhythmic groupings. And taking these, uh, you know, scale jumps.
and, and building patterns for yourself and kind of using that as like a compositional technique. Uh, thoughts on that? I like that. <laughs> I need to do some more of that. I definitely, um, I definitely like that. Um, yeah, and you could repeat that, you know, ad nauseum. Mm-hmm. Also, like patterns like those are uh, interesting compositional devices as well, and improvisational devices. Definitely. So I, I think the pattern is up one, two, three, four, down two. Ad nauseum. Mm-hmm. Those are really good to practice um, picking smoothly too, because the pentatonic naturally lays itself out um, in two notes, obviously, per string. So you can really get a different kind of sound in speed when you're moving like that versus you know it's such a different sound but obviously when you start playing pentatonically you're crossing intervals so much faster it sounds like insane it sounds like you're flying all over the place and it's great (laughs) but it definitely pays off to like try to practice smoothly going through them different pentatonic patterns like fours or fives or sixes because you'll really um it'll help you move around the guitar more too and that's what's great about the pentatonic especially on guitar it's like a really special place on guitar more than i feel like any other instrument just because it lays out very naturally on the guitar for whatever reason (laughs) it's really nice um another thing i wanted to touch on what's a i've been jumping between you know a minor and G minor. Um, so just for the, the sake of argument, let's stick with G minor. Um, yeah. This is a principle I learned from uh, watching a, a video with Scott Henderson and um, using three different pentatonic scales over one uh, chord pattern. Oh, yes. Um, so we got G minor, obviously G minor pentatonic. Works over G minor. Um, but also A minor pentatonic works over G minor because um, it has G in it. It has the, the fifth the ninth, the 11th, the root, that's the root. This is the fifth, the the 13, um, it's got the, you know, the characteristic notes, except for It's also got, you know, that, that Dorian sound in it. So, um, if you're playing over a G minor chord, uh, you can take a lick just in that shape and move it up to the A minor pentatonic scale. There's also a third um, pentatonic scale that you can use over a static minor chord. D minor pentatonic, which has 
the seventh, the fifth, the eleventh, the ninth, and the root. So let's take that lick. So you can you can get even weirder with um with your with your pattern with your pentatonic pattern playing um, if you're uh, you know jumping between these shapes. Um, thoughts. I really like that approach. That's definitely um, trying to find, again, as many places to play the pentatonic. It's always cool. Because as you can hear those sounds, um, it's really cool to hear those sounds against um, not what you'd expect. That's what I like about doing those different permutations of it is like really, um, it diverts your expectation. It's like, ooh. And that's how I always feel when I hear that kind of stuff. It, it, it's a nice way to get someone's attention too. I feel like it's really effective in that way. I'm going to send a note to future Lyman. Um, when, when you're doing, you know, um, you should uh, just do that. Just put a big old G minor chord under that. Maybe you could even use this one or this one. Just, you know, move them back. Okay, future Lyman, I know you got this. <laughs> He's on it. He's a good man. I don't think I'm even going to cut that out. I'm just going to keep it in. <laughs> Oh, I hope so. <laughs> oh, we have fun on the podcast. <laughs> we have tons of fun. Because, yeah, it, it is nice to hear, you know, that, that contrast of those different shapes against the mm. chord sound. Um, I mean, I can audiate the sound of G minor in my head, but you can't hear the G minor in my head. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where your audiation is at today so uh i'll, ma I'll, I'll make it easy on you guys i'll just put a big old g minor chord um yeah what, what's some other pentatonic stuff we could talk about like are there any i, I just want to hear some of your favorite pentatonic patterns i mean i'm sure i heard i mean oh, you've man. already played a bunch but well for me if we're going to talk about the pentatonic i get some nice rundowns um there's definitely, I like to find pivot points now where you can add a little extra note and you pivot or like repeating parts. Cause, um, or now that I think about it, I have sort of like rules for the pentatonic, right? Cause if you start moving in patterns, you start getting used to that movement. And then eventually maybe you start repeating. You know, and then. If you can do those two things, and then if you start to learn to pivot, right? Or whatever. And if you thought of all those as your different pieces, right? So you have like your general movement. You have your stops, double stops. And then you have your pivots. So then... Because this took me a long time to figure out how to construct these pentatonic lines. That's how you do it. So suddenly, uh, boom, you just made a line. All you did was use those pieces, right? Is you have your pivots. So I could just, and you just move in just different interval numbers. And then when you start being able to shift around the neck, the one thing I will add is when you start learning things in a broader perspective, like four notes per string, or you can start seeing outside of just a little box of the pentatonic, like um, maybe I'm in E right now. I'll stick with E because it's easy to show it. Or, um, yeah. If you start seeing, and if you start seeing those notes too, and as many notes as you can on the outside, what starts to happen is if you want to move up or down, you can just start to reach for it. And you can start learning to move down and shift up or down. 
Because that's the cool thing about the pentatonic is you can start to shift. And that's what I practice a lot is shifting. Like just seeing how many ways I can shift or if I can add an extra note on a string to shift up or down. And even like sort of displacing notes sometimes. That's the thing I like to do on the pentatonic a lot, actually, because it's pretty, um, it's not that hard to do on it versus other things is like, um, just, you know, just stuff like that. It's really nice on the pentatonic. And even doing that on one string with the pentatonic, that got me moving around the guitar a lot too. But um, those types of things, I really actually, um, I used to practice those things a lot, those types of pentatonic movements. Very helpful. And um, especially for picking. <laughs> And even, um, oh, the one that I really like is um, just repeating sixes, because that's the hard one. Because if you can do that, then things below sixes don't sound really as good, I feel like, to modulate. But sixes, you can modulate and make it really work. People will forgive you. They don't care where the note is because it's enough of a repeated pattern to where your brain's like, all right, it's not just like, you know, two notes or four notes. For some reason, in repeated things, like, or at least like that, man, you could, um, when you can get to the point where you can do things like that, I feel like it's easier to modulate and the ear is more forgiving. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, those are some of my pentatonic thoughts. It's nice and even and longer than four. Yep, yep. <laughs> exactly. Um. Yeah, uh, sixes and are a lot more forgiving than, than that thing. Exactly. And the, and the thing is, those work too, but it's obviously a much shorter lived thing versus like sixes. You can sort of draw out that feeling of rising or falling or whatever you want people to feel. And um, I don't know. Oddly enough, I've been getting a little more into sequences. I think um, in the 80s, obviously, people went a little guitar sequence crazy. But I think there's something to be said about, like, really good knowledge of sequencing or being able to sequence something and move it around. Like, it is definitely a musical device and a sound. And I think it's on guitar in particular, it sounds really good to do that for some reason. I can't figure it out. Other instruments, it sounds cool, too. But on guitar, for some reason, modulating... Um, like that and even modulating chromatically I, in general I feel like on guitar has it sounds really good <laughs> better than most instruments um, would, would this be considered a sequence I would think of that as one for sure definitely um, so I, I guess these would be diatonic sequences then mm-hmm Clearly, this is this isn't something I've practiced. This is pretty hard for me. Um, yeah, I, I I'd encourage everybody to look into diatonic sequencing as well. Um, because then once you can do that, it's like you can make motifs out of them too, or you can really you can just throw them in. To spots because that's what they're useful for is when you're connecting things and you need a connector like a good sequence will work really well sometimes to connect two things in a certain way i don't know i like it a lot i i recently did um did an ep uh, with my my friend cheyenne Sh shout out to cheyenne and one eye high uh check check us out on facebook and instagram but um i played a guitar solo on one of the tracks and it was it was pretty much just that sequence i only recorded it a week ago so let's see if i can still remember it um uh
So that was pretty much the whole guitar solo, and it was just that that sequence of um, step up, and then one, two, three, four, five, five up. So one up, then five up, and then seven down, and then repeat. One up, five up, seven down, repeat. And then I jumped down a little further, but used the same sort of concept. Um, so that's a that's that's a useful tool to be able to to have is um, being able to do you know sequences chromatically with with the shapes, but also. Um, diatonically as well following you know the rules stepwise in a in absolutely a scale. any sort of sequences in general yeah they're very very useful and they'll open up a world of um, movement especially if you're improvising but even not an improvisation like i've been listening to a lot of um orchestral music lately too or even like um even bluegrass like uh the new punch brothers album came out and that album's really good i've been listening to that and i'm um, just hearing lots of um they use a lot of sequences too, just as little bits of movement to support melodies. And um, I really like John Williams. He does that a lot, like a lot of really cool sequences that outline, you know, tones and just support the melody. And that um, I feel like that's really important in writing too. It's just ways to support the melody and sequences. Excellent for that. You ever say a, a word so much that it loses meaning and just becomes sound? I feel that way with, <laughs> with sequence right now. Now I'm just seeing sequins, like I'm like, <laughs> like <laughs> some pants or something. I'm seeing like a Liberace man in my mind. <laughs> and now, now, now the word has lost all meaning. We've made it. <laughs> um, d does that mean we should change subject? No, I think we should stay here. Um, like, like you said, classical music, like, they they use there there was a lot of sequencing in a in classical music. Um, mm -hmm. Are there any examples you can think of think of off the top of your head? Ooh, um, not of necessarily of off the top of my head. Oh man, <laughs> <laughs> not that I could play on guitar. Oh, I can hear them in my mind. Maybe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I feel like I set myself up to give a perfect example, yet I don't have any example at this moment. Well, actually, um, oh, okay, I don't have an example. Let's see if I can, um, let me think. Um, well, I've been listening to specifically the Indiana Jones theme song. This is actually a great use of those sequences because in the background, pretty much the whole time, there are just different sequences under the melody. Like in the beginning, you have like you're repeating like motif, right? Dun, da, 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 dun, 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 right, it's going. And as the song goes on, it changes and changes. But specifically, especially when it goes to like the love theme B section thing, there's lots of um, sequenced horn or sorry, um, string lines in the background because the melody is like. Da, 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 something like that right um and the strings are playing like the sequence a lot of these are even like these lines right and they'll just be sequenced and they'll keep and uh, john williams likes to do that a lot it'll repeat or it'll modulate up the scale the sequence it'll just keep moving up or down the scale and um specifically in that middle part as it keeps rising the string lines and the added parts they'll just keep sequencing and rising and um i really like that a lot and the other, <laughs> see, man, the only other example I have is things from like, <laughs> I was telling Lyman about this uh, Yu-Gi-Oh soundtrack from this Game Boy game. You have to bear with me, people. When I was a young, <laughs> when I was a young man, I was in grade school, I had this Game Boy game, this Yu-Gi-Oh Game Boy game, and it had the best music. And a lot of the melodies were supported with these sequences in the background, just outlining the chords. And it was really effective um, in that music. Really mind blowing stuff. <laughs> <laughs>
So I, I, I thought of an example. Um, yes. There's, there's this. Um, that That's a perfect example. Christmas song. Uh, I, I, I've forgotten the name of the song, but uh, <laughs> I know I know the words are Latin or something. Um, but yeah, that's mm-hmm. a perfect example of a diatonic sequence. Um, so yeah, I encourage everybody to come up with like a group of uh, four stepwise motions, you know, up to up one, down four, up three. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And then just see if you can do that throughout the scale. Um, not to scare anybody off, but there probably will be a little bit of math involved. But um, <laughs> a little bit. As long as you it can count to four, little. you should be good. Definitely, you will be okay. Um. Yeah. Uh, there, there was something else I wanted to get to today. Um. Uh, Miles and his band uh, are are releasing an album very soon, and uh, I got an advanced copy, uh, and I was listening to it, and I was just blown away, like absolutely blown away by the the writing and arranging on this record. And uh, <clears throat> I can see Miles getting a little embarrassed right now. <laughs> Uh, he did a, a large chunk of the writing and arranging and uh, I, I just wanted to touch on that a little bit. Like what's your thought process? <laughs> Big, broad, <laughs> yeah. open-ended question. Um, yeah. I would love to talk about this. Yeah. Uh, let's just talk about like, you know, a couple of your favorite lines from the, the record, maybe some, you know, harmonies that you came up with. Um, and, and just mm-hmm. talk about, you know, your reasoning behind your, your decision-making there. Absolutely. Well, I got a few favorites. Ooh, I feel like, um, I'm trying to think there's a lot of good examples. Well, I guess I'll choose the obvious one. OD had a lot of, a lot of um, arrangement work on that. That was my most arrangement intensive song that I really spent a lot of time with and a lot of time um, figuring out how I wanted everything to fit together. And um, if you guys get a chance to listen to the album, definitely at least check out that song. It's um, definitely, it's got a lot of movements to it. And especially um, in the horn solely, the section changes. It starts out sort of almost, it's mainly staying in like an E flat thing. And then it goes into the second section. So I wrote that first and I knew I wanted to write horns over it. And then of course, obviously I approach it and I'm like, all right, well, what do I do? Cause this is a great example of something that is not normal. You know, it's just these two linear, like chromatic, kind of chord movements. And the, um, now that I analyze kind of what I did, it's very interesting to look back on it. But when I wrote this line in particular, and especially everything in this song, I really w- was concerned with how the horns felt against the beat or how everything feels against whatever beat you're doing. Is It sort of determines the whole feel of the song to me, right? It's the polarity between usually the rhythm section or whatever is driving, you know, the underbelly of the rhythm and then whatever's working off that. So when I'm arranging, I'm always trying to think of that like relationship, like how, what kind of groove is the underbelly providing of the song or whatever's more of the foundational parts. And then what can I do on top to make you feel that a certain, whatever kind of pull or swing or whatever you want them to feel, that's how you manipulate that. So on that part, I knew every, I knew I could have approached it 
I could have just gone over the top, right? And just started, you know, you know, uh, and just gone all over the place and no one would have cared. And that would have been awful. And I didn't want to do that. Right. So I thought, all right, first off, like space, space has been the biggest thing I keep thinking about when I arrange. And first off, it starts with the horns moving in two directions. They're like, well, some of them are bending up, one of them are bending down. I was like, great. That off the bat, I wanted to think of something that would just get my head out of the box, like out the gate. And that's what I did. You know, so there's just like this bending up and down and right away, boom, you're somewhere else. And so I thought, all right, but I have to make it connect. I can't just have the sound and ice. And so, you know, so that was the actual horn line. And when I made it, I try to make it like everything I'm trying to write. I definitely try to make sure it's followable to some level. So a lot of that definitely kind of falls within the pentatonic, but it also on the certain changes is sort of like touching more of the outline notes. But I was definitely, no matter what, I'm more concerned with that polarity, you know? That feeling. And then, obviously, the notes I chose to hold on, I want those increase that feeling of polarity. And that is, in essence, like that little section right there, it's sort of just how I approach that whole song the whole time with the horns and um, with especially with the vocals, too. And then um, the end of that song, the other exciting thing I did, um, I feel like um, I went through, We there's a multiple sections in that song, and then I knew I wanted to come back to the melody, but I wanted to reharmonize it. And the normal verse, I'll just sing it really quick if that's all right. It's Please. just like... Um, uh, like that right and that's already pretty cool but i was like how do i totally redo that and um this was the first time i had actually ever really reharmonized something <laughs> so i didn't exactly know what i was doing but what i came up with at least i'll show you what i came up with and i'll do my best to explain it <laughs> and so the reharmonized version is if you can't get down Get on out If you want to fly with us We can work it out We'll work it out And if you can't get down Get on out So <laughs> I just all I did was try to add a different turnaround that got me back to the center note. So I was like, that already made it sound and feel very different. And then I tried to almost make it feel minor, even though I used major sevenths, because that's what I thought. Since this song had a very, like, um, it had a very diatonic feel. It didn't feel particularly like major or minor. It feels just very like pentatonically rooted kind of, but definitely not sad. It's sort of, you know, it's got attitude and all that stuff, but I wanted this ending part to feel. That was the other thing is the feel, right? I was very concerned in every section with the feel. And so what I just played for you, that second section, I was more concerned with it feeling like very just open and soulful and different than before. It's not just the attitude, you know, those take, give you a totally different feeling when you hear those chords. And then and then I changed it to a minor chord when I came back to it, when the song and the melody would allow. That was the other thing. It's like, um, 
when I'm reharmonizing, the few times I've done it, I'm trying to get a lot better at it. But um, it, the, in that particular way, I was always looking for places where the melody would really allow for me to pick a very different chord polarity wise that felt like absolutely opposite. And um, I really like that feeling. And I like it when songs do that, when they sort of almost pull the rug out from under you and like, it's like a reflection or the other side of the song. Like maybe the song has a yin and a yang and this is the other side, but it definitely has elements of the other side. And that's all definitely, I'm trying to, in general, when I'm composing, I'm sorry to go on for so long. <laughs> this is as useful to me as it is to everybody else. And if I didn't make that clear enough, it is extremely useful. I hope you're oh. listening. <laughs> but, um, definitely, um, I've been really trying to think about balance and then all the parts in that album, I was always trying to strike a balance between what I thought of as colorful and exciting, but also like relatable and real and not overwhelming. Cause you don't want to overwhelm listeners. You don't want to beat them over the head with what you're doing. And so I was always just trying to find that yin and yang relationship with all parts of the song that I could, as many elements of the song that I could look at in that fashion and um, I don't know. That's just some thoughts for certain sections. I don't know if you have any more questions, but um, yeah, this is some thoughts. <laughs> I have one comment. I appreciate you said yin and not yang, like those those stupid rap twins. <laughs> <laughs> Who am I kidding? I, I like oh, the yin yang twins. <laughs> I know. Well, they, yeah, they're they are. <laughs> <laughs> But, but no, man, it was cool to get in your head for, for a second, especially on, on that track. Like my, my initial impression of when I heard the, the horn solely, I'm like, wow, this is real. Like this is boppy. Like there's, there's bebop <laughs> influence in here. Um, Definitely. It's cool to know, like you were super intentional about everything. Absolutely. And I guess the other big thing is the way I viewed um, everything and I've viewed arranging in this band in particular is like, um, just like I have free reign to do what I want. <laughs> and the stuff that I'm most influenced by, especially with horns and stuff, would be a uh, big band stuff. And I really like a lot of, um, you know, Duke Ellington and Count Basie and stuff, obviously, but also like Tito Puente, that dude, if you ever want to hear just some burning horn arrangements, listen to Tito Puente, dance mania, do it. You'll make your life better. I promise. But um, I always try to view it as a big band. I always like the way big band horn lines support the melody and how solis feel like an extension of the music and it doesn't feel useless or just like it's there for no reason. Like everything's there for a reason. And I feel like um, for me, when it comes to horn arrangements, I definitely tried my best to always come somewhat from that more of a big band train of thought because... um that stuff is the best. <laughs> it's just so good. But also orchestral, like certain songs on that album, like um, um, Feel This Way, the the um, bridge in that song, I very much wanted it to feel like um, very orchestral, almost like a James Bond soundtrack, you know? <laughs> I, I don't know if, if this is going to like offend anybody in any way. Uh, I'm looking at you mostly. I hope this doesn't offend you. Um <laughs> But that the bridge to that song sounded very game showy, like game show theme song from like Ooh. the seventies and eighties. Oh, definitely, yeah, yeah. It had some of that vibe. It's got a little Copacabana in there, you know what I'm saying? I love that stuff. See, I am um, and that's the other thing about me, as you'll hear if you listen to the album, is that um, I don't know that I I am proud of how it sounds, and it, it I do feel like I created things that don't sound necessarily like anything else. And that's what I tried to do also is really try to be influenced by things, but put my own stamp on it where I could find places to where it's like, you know what? No one's doing, putting these pieces together like this. Maybe I'll try it and see if it works. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like the, so. the bridge on that, that tune is incredible. Like, mm. um, it, it, very reminiscent to a, uh, 70s 80s like game show interlude or something like that oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> do, do you know when the album's dropping do you know when the scheduled release date is i believe we're planning on having a release in october is what we're aiming for because our wonderful singer stephanie is having a baby and that is very very exciting we're all very excited and um obviously she wants to 
But yeah, the album release. So it's looking like maybe towards the end of October is what it's I've heard so far. But it's sort of, you know, obviously dependent on a few logistic things. But I can tell you guys here tentatively, you know, October, we're hoping is the month. So yeah. Really excited for that. So this is kind of like a little sneak peek of the album, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I highly encourage everybody to check it. Check this album out when it drops. There's some really cool sections on it. And full disclosure, I should mention, I used to be in this band, so I'm a little bit biased. <laughs> I really I really like these guys. Uh. Um, they didn't fire me, I don't think. Uh, I, I I just had to move. I moved from Washington to Arizona. Oh yeah, we definitely didn't fire him. <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> it just yeah. worked out perfectly. I was about to be fired. <laughs> <laughs> it all worked out. Um. Yeah, I think we're we're approaching the the end times of uh mm-hmm. of this podcast. Um, any any last minute notes? Uh, no, just glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Always enjoy these conversations, and um, I always come away from these thinking about things all week. So I just gotta thank you, my man. <laughs> and, and obviously, anyone who's listening, thank you for listening to what we have to say. And I hope you get something out of it. Yeah, like that's that's the biggest thing. Like, I mean, it's fun for me to have conversations with my friends and talk about you know, the thing we're literally thinking about for probably 20 hours a day. (laughs) Um, But I I just, I I hope it's giving some value to somebody somewhere. Um, Even if you're just laughing at us because we're kind of dumb. Like, that's... That's okay. It's perfectly acceptable. I might actually even (laughs) appreciate that a little bit more. Um, But, yeah... Thank you for for coming on and filling in for uh for Marcel while he's uh dealing with this this matter he's got to deal with. Um mm-hmm. I, I think um now would be a good time to announce uh because, you know, we're winding down which means everybody probably turned off the podcast so I can announce anything I want. <laughs> um but uh Miles is going to be a regular from now on. Like, not that he's already not a regular, but when when Marcel's coming back, uh, Miles isn't going to go anywhere unless he's busy and can't make the the recording session. But like, uh, he is welcome on this podcast whenever he's available, and I'm super excited for that. Like, uh, I'm excited to get into the same chat room as both Marcel and Miles and see what kind of crazy, weird, interesting stuff gets uh gets come up with and um this is mostly for me uh more than anybody else like this is this is going to be extremely valuable to me uh but i also hope it's valuable to you as well um mm, it's gonna be a lot of fun i'm really glad to really glad to be here yeah i'm i'm excited and i'm excited for the future so um I should do commercial time at the end. I just dropped something. I might have broken something. <laughs> Everything is good. Um, I think so far. Double checking. Yeah, everything's good. Um, so I'm Lyman. You can find me at LymanLipkey.com. Uh, I, I teach lessons via Google Hangouts and Skype. Um, I also release a lo-fi hip-hop jazz uh, track thing every Tuesday and Friday on my SoundCloud. Um, I'm about three months behind on releasing all the tracks on Bandcamp, but those are coming. Um, They're all available for free, like, you know, pay what you want type deal. Um, And... Is there anything else I do? Uh, I don't think so. Um, for Marcel, you can find him uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube um, at Lessons with Marcel. That's where you can find him. And he has a website as well, LessonsWithMarcel.com. And that's where you can sign up for uh, Skype lessons with him. And 
there's a there's a thing we do together. It's called Jazz and Grass on Instagram. That's a new lick each weekday plus a bonus lick on Saturday. Six licks a week, alternating between jazz and bluegrass. And we don't post on Sundays because these things happen. And, uh... Oh, yeah, we have a phone number. 724-257-1046. That's 724-257-1046. Call, text, leave a message. We'll, uh... Get to your uh, your your question, comment, or derogatory remark on the podcast. So that's the thing. Um, that's all I got for uh, Marcel and I. Anything you got to plug? Well, I'm Miles Harris, and I have an Instagram, and it is Miles underscore of underscore Miles. But you could probably type my name in and find me. And hopefully I'll be posting more here soon, especially since I'll be getting a new guitar. And I'm hoping to have more activity there and maybe post more about when I'm playing or what I'm doing and just general musical things. So if you want to check that out, got that going on. Well, cool. Um, I think this is a podcast. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, We will be back Sunday again, next Sunday, with uh, some more... I don't know. Nonsense. <laughs>